Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintachi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So as I mentioned to you earlier, we've been talking about cultivating the good life. And this is our final installment in that. What does it mean to cultivate a Christian life, to practice a life of Christ? Dedicated, disciples, devoted followers. What does it mean for us to focus on that and what difference does it make? Some of you may have missed some of the earlier sermons. They're on YouTube. They're on our website. If you want to catch up and see the whole series, you may do so there. But let me remind you of the territory we've already covered. We started all the way back in the book of Romans eight weeks ago. On week one, we talked about how we are transformed when we offer ourselves to God. That God will help us discern God's will. And as we offer ourselves to follow God's will, it transforms who we are and the lives we experience. Two, we talked about not only being those who can discern the will of God, but we are called to be doers of God's will. Week three, we talked about agape, the Greek word for love, meaning to will the good or do the good for another. The verse was, owe no one anything except to love or agape one another. Reverend Venable preached for us the following week and talked about this trap of being judgmental and making sure that we do not fall into that trap of being judgmental. The next week we moved from the letter Paul wrote to the Romans to the ones he wrote to the Philippians. He's in prison and writing and he says to them, suffering and believing are a privilege when done in the cause of Christ. He talked about even when we're in difficult circumstances that God is with us. And God will see us through because God is a God of blessing. And God is blessing us, he says. In week six, we talked about this amazing gift God has given us, our brains and our minds. Because Paul was saying to the people, have the mind of Christ. Have the same mind as Christ, being willing to suffer, to serve to sacrifice, being humble, being obedient to God. And then last week, Paul wrote 
that he's pressing on toward the prize of the upward of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus and encouraged all of us to be those who press forward, look ahead, not to be those who get caught in the past, but believing that God is leading us into the future, look to the future, follow God, align your life with God's will. It leads to the good life, Paul says. Then today, Paul adds to that, stand firm in the Lord. It's right there in the very first verse we read, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, he says. What does he mean? What way is that? Well, he's just told these who are reading this letter for the first time in the verse right before where we began to read. It's the end of chapter 3, verse 21, that God is a God of power. And by the power that God has, he enables all things to be transformed, that all things are subject to himself, that he has the power to transform us from the body of death to the body of glory. He's talking about the power we see in God raising Christ from the dead and says that power is at work on your behalf for good right now. Do you believe that God can be at work in your life through Christ? But Paul goes beyond that and gives them several specifics. He says again, as he said earlier, be of the same mind. Help one another. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Rejoice. This community youth orchestra helped us rejoice, did they not? The choir singing, lifting us up so that we can rejoice in the Lord. Paul goes on to say, show gentleness to everyone. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, pray to God. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving, Paul says. Let all that you need God to do be made known to God. And then think on the excellent things of life. And he gives us that whole list. If there's any of this, any of that, think on those things. And of course, what Paul is saying, of course, there's lots of that in the world. Focus on that. Linda Coleman was a woman who dreamed of being a police officer, being in law enforcement. But in her local county, she was not allowed to apply. As she began to go through her young adult years, the local counties changed their policy and they began to allow women and ethnic minorities to apply to be law enforcement officers. She was both. She signed up. She was accepted. She was so excited. But as soon as she began her training, she realized that so many of the people that were already officers, didn't really want to welcome her. She said it became clear that lots of them liked it better when it was men only. Some of them liked it better when it was white men only. But she said, I 
I'd always felt this calling, this draw to be in law enforcement. So I persevered. I continued to work. I continued to study. I went to class. I did everything that I was being asked to do. She said, finally, we came to the last day. The last obstacle was to pass the physical agility test. She said when she got there that morning, the fellow that was in charge was a sergeant. They did not know Even though he referred to most of the other people by their name on their shirt, he referred to her as little girl or little lady. When he was explaining to them all the tests they were going to have to pass, one was pushing a police cruiser 20 feet. He looked at her and said, little lady, if you don't push that cruiser all the way to me where that bumper hits me in the kneecaps, it will be my pleasure to send you home for good but she said she was not to be deterred she climbed up the ladder went through a window through a room out the window back down the other side she went to the station where they had to pick up a 150 pound mannequin and carry it across a football field she said she passed all the tests and they were finally in the line the very last test of the day she said it was An obstacle six feet tall, a solid concrete wall that you had to climb over and drop down on the other side. She said that was a little bit of a problem because she's only five foot, three inches tall. She said, I saw the men running toward the wall and jumping up and grabbing the top and pulling their way up and going over. She said there were other women in line before me. They did the same thing. They ran and tried to grab the wall, but they couldn't get over. She said she began to have more and more anxiety and worry as she got closer to the front of the line. But then she says out of nowhere, an old gospel song her grandmother used to sing came to her mind, an old Negro spiritual that said, I shall not be moved. I shall not, I shall not be moved. And she said she was buoyed a little bit by that. And then she said she remembered her dad telling her all the way through her life that she had to try hard, that she might have to be twice as good and do twice as much to be accepted, but that she could do it and she felt a little stronger. And then she said it was amazing. It was almost like she heard the actual voice of her high school track coach who had always said to the girls' track team, the lady's strength is not in their shoulders, not in their arms. A lady's strength is in their legs. And she thought, I can do this. And so when she got to the front of the line, she said she stood still and closed her eyes and took a deep breath and tried to calm herself and then visualized the ground between her and the wall like a track and she just began to run as fast as she could run and she said when she got to the wall she just put her feet on it first and began to climb she said I saw the sky and then I leapt as high as I could and I grabbed the top of the wall and I swung my leg over and jumped to the other side she said I had done it I had done it I'd remembered those lessons from my past and they'd carried me through. Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. 
sounds a lot like I shall not be moved. Paul wants these Christians to know there is a God of power and peace at work in their lives. Paul wants to be a witness, he says, to the power and peace of God at work in the world. And he wants to tell others all about it. In the very last verse we read, he writes this. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Remember those lessons. Keep on doing the things you have learned and you will experience the power and the presence and the peace of God alive in your life. Michael Gartner is an author, a journalism guy. He writes papers and columns, written some books. He said when his dad was 95, One day, sort of out of the blue, he asked him, do you want to know the secret of a long life? And he says, by then my dad was saying some bizarre things from time to time. So I had no idea what he was going to say, but I said, sure, what's the secret to a long life? And his dad said, no left turns. (laughs) And he said, what? He said, no left turns. Your mother and I read years ago that as people age, almost all of us lose some ability in terms of our eyesight. And often part of what we lose is depth perception. And somebody had studied this and said, as people get older, a lot of their auto accidents are when they're trying to turn left across traffic. But they misjudge and they find themselves in an accident. So your mother and I discussed it on that very day. We decided no more left turns. (laughs) If you get there and it's time to turn left, just take three rights. It's the same thing, he said. (laughs) He said, what? He said, yeah, just go up a block, turn right, go a block, turn right, go. You're back where you started. Three. He said, that is amazing. He looked at his mother to make sure that this was true. Was his dad really giving him the straight stuff and she said yes that's what we do unless your father loses count (laughs) that happens sometimes then we take seven rights to get back to where we're supposed to be he said he was driving he began to laugh so hard he was afraid he was going to drive off the road he just had to ask do you ever go for 11 his dad said of course not if you miss it seven you just go home and call it a bad day Practicing the lessons we have learned, using the wisdom that has been shared with us. How do you practice the lessons of faith that you've learned? How do you cultivate the spiritual practices of a Christian life in your own life? What helps you stand firm in Christ? What helps you personally stay focused on being a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? Paul says, remember those lessons. Remember those practices. Use those. Cultivate those. Embody those. It will lead you to a good life. 
But often, even though we've learned the lessons, even if we've grown up in the church and been here a long time, I find in my own life and in some of yours, as you share with me, that it's easy to drift off course. I remember when Bishop Snazy was here not so long ago preaching in this pulpit. Remember, he talked about this and he said, sometimes we're like sheep and we nibble our way lost. We take one step, then another, then another, and we drift off course. And we fail to practice the lessons of faith that we know are best for us. Reverend Junius Dotson is a leader in the United Methodist Church. He works in our division of discipleship ministries. He's written a new book called Soul Reset, like the resetting of your computer or something else. In the book, he says he found that he needed a soul reset and began to think that maybe many of us need to do that. He tells of one particular experience that brought this home to him. He said it is the most embarrassing moment of his life. He said it was a weekday. He woke up that morning. He wasn't feeling his best. He knew something was a little bit wrong. Maybe he had caught a bug. Maybe he was catching a cold. Maybe he hadn't been sleeping enough. He was a little off. But he couldn't go back to bed because in the middle of the morning he had a funeral. And he said, as pastors do, you know you can't cancel and reschedule a funeral. You just have to power through. He thought, I can do that. He got up and got ready, got dressed, got to the church. He said the whole time not feeling quite right. Finally, time for the funeral. He was taking deep breaths, drinking water. He thought, I can get through this. It came his turn to stand up and do the meditation, share the obituary, celebrate the person's life. He said the first couple of minutes were going all right, and then he felt that kind of wave of uneasiness coming over him again. He said, I thought I better speed up and power through to get to the end of this sermon so I can sit down. He said he was looking at the family in the front row when he felt the next wave kind of come over him. And he thought, this is not good. I am feeling really lightheaded. He said, that's when I went down. He said, the next thing I remember, I was on a gurney being put into an ambulance surrounded by paramedics. He said, that day I was preaching from Psalm 23. I was telling people how they could get through the valleys in their life. And ironically, I did not realize that I was in a deep, deep valley in my life. He said he feels like writing the book is an opportunity to name that we're exhausted, overcommitted chronically fatigued, depressed, we're working too much, we're ashamed, we're afraid, we feel alone, and we need Jesus. He writes, Jesus shows us how to live and how to live life abundantly. He says, I must confess that as a leader, there have been times in my ministry when I've drifted and gone off course. I've carried burdens that didn't belong to me. They belonged to God. I've carried people's problems that didn't belong to me. They belonged to God. I've carried unrealistic views of how others thought a leader should behave, think, and act that didn't belong to me. They belonged to God. 
I've carried hurt that I should have given to God. I've carried the weight of unrealistic expectations when I should have given them over to God. I was operating in my own strength instead of accessing the kingdom resources that are available to me. Paul reminds us that we should rejoice in the Lord, that we should be gentle with everyone. And then he says, do not worry about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.